Hey everyone, welcome to the Oasis Church podcast. We are so honored that you would take a few minutes and you would join us, even if it's through an app on your phone right now. We're just honored that you would spend the time with us. And I want to encourage you, if you want to spend time with us in person, we would love to invite you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at 197 Imperial Boulevard in Hendersonville, Tennessee. We would love to meet you. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to serve you. So make plans to join us. But right now, I hope that you enjoy this message and we hope that it encourages you and it blesses you today. Welcome back to week two of Clickbait. I'm so excited to keep going. Um, Pastor Clint did a great job last week sharing all of the fruits of offense, what they produce in our lives. And I think that we can all agree we don't want to be angry and bitter and vengeful. Like those are things that we don't want to be, right? But I think we can also agree that it's really hard to not be offended. Did anybody get offended this week? Anybody? I'm raising my hand. Like, I'm not like telling you to raise, I'm raising my hand because like I had to talk myself off. There were so many times that I was driving and I'd be like, what are you? It's fine. It's fine. It's okay. It's okay. So today we are going to keep going. Um, And you know, like I know that you guys were offended because Jesus himself said that it's impossible. In Luke 17, he told his disciples, it's impossible that no offense should come. And then he keeps going. We didn't talk about this last week, but he keeps going and says, woe to them from which it comes. Like, so, you know, we should also, it's a different message, but like, we should also not go out of our way to offend people. That woe to those who bring the offense. But it's impossible for not us to not have opportunities to be offended. So today, we're going to talk about some of the reasons we get offended. Is it ever okay for us to be offended? Is there like a legitimate reason that like, yeah, that's okay. We're going to talk about that, okay? Um, But before we get into it, I'm going to ask you guys to just keep your hearts and your minds open. I know that I prayed for that earlier, but like I'm looking in your eyes and asking you to keep your hearts and your minds open because you might feel like your toes are being stepped on at some points in this. And I stepped on my own toes while I was repairing this. So like we're in good company. That's okay. There's grace. We all get to be more like Jesus every day. So... We're gonna just jump right in. The very first reason that people get offended a lot of times is pride. It's pride. And you might be sitting there thinking, I am not prideful. This doesn't apply to me. It's okay. But listen, you are. You are prideful. And I am prideful. And we are all prideful. It's something that everybody struggles with. And you know, like, it's when you're driving down the road, like I just said, and somebody cuts you off and you're like, oh, I would never do that. Or when you're talking with somebody and you get interrupted and you're like, oh, how dare they? I would never do that to somebody. Or uh, whenever you're texting somebody, maybe you ask them a question and they don't reply to you. And you're like, oh, Why would they not do that? I would never do that to somebody. But listen, you have. You've done all of those things and more to people, and you're going to do them again. But pride is like like blinders on our face, so where we can only see the faults of others, and we can't see our own. And in 2 Timothy, Paul is writing to his friend Timothy. He and Timothy have been leading the church together, um, and Paul is writing to Timothy from a jail cell. He knows, like this is about to be over and Timothy is going to be having to take over the church. Um, and it's going to only get harder. And so he's writing to Timothy how to deal. What is, is that my hair? Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that. Okay. He's writing to Timothy about leading 
the church. Okay, maybe that works. Okay, so we're in 2 Timothy chapter 3. It says, this is what's going to happen in the church. It says, for people will love only themselves and their money. They'll be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. And he goes on and on and on about all these horrible things, how people are going to act within the church. And it's all stemming from the love of ourselves. How many of you guys have tweaked your back? You've done something and it's like, Jess Jess thought she broke her back a couple weeks ago. She's okay. But you've tweaked your back, right? And you go from like not thinking of everything your back does. Do you know how much your back does for you all day, every day? And you never think of it until your back is hurt and you've inflamed a disc and something is like not right and you're like, "Ah," and then it's all you can think about. All you can think about is how your back hurts, how you don't want to do anything to cause your back to hurt. You will go out of your way to change things about your routine so your back doesn't hurt anymore. Or maybe you're like Clint and you hit your elbow on something. Sweet Clint hit his elbow on something this week. And he, I would have thought that he broke his elbow. And he was like, look at it, look at it. And it's like, I mean, like a paper cut. Like, and he's like, it hurts so bad. And that's like all he would think about. And um, it's because it's inflamed. But you know what else is really different when it's inflamed? It's our egos. When our egos are inflamed, we can only think about our egos. We can only think about ourselves. We can only go out of our way to not have our egos hurt. And even with Clint's arm, I tried to give him a hug and I like squeezed his elbow and he pushed me away because his elbow was inflamed. So sometimes when your egos are inflamed, people can be trying to show you love and it still hurts and you push them away. And so if you are constantly being offended, if you are constantly being angry with people, if you're constantly finding yourself hurt, it might be time to look at your inflamed ego. Egos are like our backs. Everybody has an ego. Egos are not bad. But when they are inflamed, it's an issue. Because when we choose to be unoffendable, we are choosing a life of humility. And I'm not saying humility like, oh, I am not good at anything. Woe is me. Like, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying false humility. But humility is really just putting other people in front of our selfish ambitions. It's not about saying that you're not good at anything or you're not worthy of anything, but it's about realizing that like you are all, we're all broken people. We are all loved by a graceful God. Like it's realizing that it's not all about us. So pride is never a reason, a good reason to be offended. Another reason people get offended is assumptions. It's assumptions. I grew up being taught, my mom, she's over with kids. She teaches this so much that now my children say it. You never assume anything about anyone because it makes a first three letters of the word out of you and me. So now our kids say that. They don't, they're, they're like, it makes a butt out of you and me. <laughs> so that's what I always learned. I would love to stand up here and be like, I never assume anything about anybody, but that's just not true. And in fact, when I was preparing for this, I thought of a story of me and Clint where um, assumptions and offense led to the biggest fight I think we've ever had as a married couple. And I would love to share it with y'all. So do y'all want some behind the scenes of your pastor's marriage? Yeah? Okay. So we went to a marriage conference and this is also, I I have shared all of this with him. So he gives, he gives the go ahead of doing this. Um, We went to a marriage conference with some people from our married couples group. We were so excited. It was going to be awesome. We flew my mom up from Florida to stay with the kids. I had packed, it was sitting on the bed. I went into the kitchen and I was doing something 
standing at the oven and Clint came in and he was like, hey, you ready to go? I was like, yeah, okay. So assumption number one, Clint had prepared everything to go. So I say, yep, I walk away, walk straight out of the house, get in the car. We drive down to Franklin. It's like an hour away from here. And uh, we see our friends, we're waving at everybody. I'm so excited. It's gonna be a great weekend. And Clint opens the trunk and my bag isn't in there. And I was like, huh. Assumption number two, Clint had put my bag in the back seat to be funny. Like that's what it was. And I looked at him and I said, oh, you put my bag in the back seat? And he said, no, I didn't. And he just didn't put my bag in the car. My bag was sitting on our bed at home and I was seething inside, like so mad because I had assumed that he had put my bag in the car and he had assumed that I had. So that was not great. I was very offended because I was like, how did you not think about me? But then like, I am very open. I'm very honest. What you see is what you get with me. But like, there's also a part, I don't want people to see me angry. And it's not because I'm a pastor, but because like anger isn't pretty. It's not fun. And so I'm so angry, but I'm trying to like tamp it down and be okay and make light of it. And we're like, oh, Clinton has a bag. I don't, this is so funny. But inside I'm like, I was so mad, but we figured it out. I called my mom um, because that's not the end of the story. The story gets worse. Um, I (laughs) called my mom and she was going to drive with the kids two hours round trip to drop my bag off. God bless the woman. And it was going to be okay. Everything was going to be fine. So we went up to the front desk and um, I said, hey, we, we forgot my bag. I didn't throw them under the bus. I said, we forgot my bag. My mom's going to bring it. Can uh, she drop it off here for me to take up to the room after our first session tonight? And they said, yeah, no problem. Let's get you checked in. What's your last name? So we say Lamberth. She types. She's scrolling. And then she goes, what's your reservation number? which is when the little alarm bells start going off in my head of she shouldn't have to ask us that. He spelled it out for her. And so Clint pulls up on his phone. I don't even remember what hotel it was, but types the hotel in and he has a confirmation email. And for just a second, I'm like, oh, this is great. Okay, we're good. And he clicks on it and it's for the other pastor couple that we had gotten a room for them so that they could go. This is for the Youngs. It's the Youngs confirmation email. And there's not another email because Clint didn't book us a hotel room. He didn't book us a hotel room. I had assumed that Clint had booked us a hotel room and he didn't. And um, you better believe your girl was offended. I was so mad. Um, I removed myself from the situation because again, I did not want everybody to see. Cause I was like mad, but then I was like, I'm going to I was so mad. So I removed myself and I went to go sit in the car. Um, Honestly, fully expecting Clint to bring his bag out there, get in the car and drive us home. Like I was like, I'm not going back in there. I was like, I'm not doing it. Um, And I was ready to sit in that car like a pouty five-year-old for the rest of the night. I was like, I'm not going back in there. Um, And that's not what happened. Clint came out and... um, he refused to go home, which I appreciate him. But really, you know why he didn't want to go home? is because he didn't want to spend a weekend at home with angry Stephanie. So <laughs> we uh, sat in the car and I proceeded to loudly and angrily tell him everything I was thinking. Um, and then again, I would have sat there and pouted for the rest of the night. But sweet Allison, like a little angel, called me and she said, hey, Stephanie, where are you? And I said, I'm in the car. <laughs> and she was like, you going to come in? I was like, I don't know. And she's like, you should probably come in. I was like, 
fine. So <laughs> we ended up going in. It ended up being a great weekend. We are clearly very happily married. It was fine. And while I was making all of these silly assumptions and being offended because they were not coming true, I was also internally assuming things about Clint's motives. And while I wasn't like voicing them and I wasn't like consciously thinking these things. You better believe Clint was receiving these things and he was offended. Like he was like, how dare he, he was, I had gotten over it. And then he started getting angry and I was like, we're done. This is over water under the bridge. Let's move on. And he was like, but you called me dumb and angry and lazy. And I was like, I never said these things, but it was just, he was hearing from my tone and all of this stuff. We ended up just making so many assumptions about each other, our actions, our motives, all of this stuff that it, and we got so offended that it was a huge fight and it ended up being great. We learned a lot like, and we can laugh about it now, but it was really hard. But how many of us think that we can, we can assume other people's motives. Like we know what other people are thinking. And honestly, that's really bad because while we're clueless, like we absolutely have no idea. We think that we do, which just makes it so much worse. But you know, uh, woo, hold on. There we go. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes this. He's writing this about himself. He says, as for me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or by any human authority. I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't prove I'm right. It's the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. So right here, Paul is telling us that we can't assume other people's motives because we can't even assume our own motives. We cannot even assume our own motives. And here we are thinking that we know why people did what they did and they were being mean and they are hateful and they don't like me when we have no idea what other people are thinking. We don't know how their brain works. We don't know what's going on in their lives. We don't know what they're thinking. We can't say that we do, but if we live like that, we are constantly going to be offended we can't make assumptions about people and assume that is, I'm sorry, Woo! I got distracted. That's ADHD, my medicine's wearing off, I apologize. We cannot make assumptions about people's behavior and then get offended by them. That's not okay. We can't even assume our own, our own motives. So that's not a good reason. The third pe reason people get offended is because of expectations. It's expectations. Everybody in this room has expectations of how people should act, how they should talk, how they should respond to a situation. You have expectations of what's normal, or maybe it's the opposite, and it's what people shouldn't say and what they won't do and how they would never respond to it. And when we have these expectations and people don't meet them, we're going to be offended we're going to be offended because our expectations are not met. And that's the difference between your expectations and reality. This whole gap is hurt. It's just hurt. You're either hurt by what's going on around you or you're hurt by the people. And when we have these expectations and we're holding them up here with an iron grip, we're always going to be disappointed because people are going to disappoint you and they're going to offend you to the same degree and the same level at which you hold them, the expectations you hold them to. And so, um, I don't know, has anybody ever heard of The Onion? It's like a satire website, like, it's been around for forever. They wrote an article in 1998, back when some of y'all weren't even on the earth yet. They wrote this article, 
and it was called Neighbors Remember Serial Killer as Serial Killer. And the whole article is like this guy gets arrested for being a serial killer and his neighbors are like, that tracks, that tracks. He did some serial killer things, you know, like saw him bringing people in and body bags out and that sounds about right. And it's satirical because we would never say that. We would never say that because more often than not, we are saying the exact opposite. When somebody does something, we go, hey, I can't believe they did that. They're just not the type. Like there's a type that would hurt people. Like they're, you know what I'm saying? Like they're just not the type of person to do that. And sometimes it's really hard for me because I'm like, really? Like you can't believe that a politician would lie. Like you can't believe that a pastor would cheat on his spouse, which stinks, but like that's not that hard to believe anymore. You can't believe that somebody would try to steal something from you or I can't believe that my neighbor would put fireworks off at 2.30 in the morning. How dare they? We have these expectations that we hold of people. But let me tell you what Jesus said about his expectations of people. So in John, this is after Jesus cleared the temple, which is another thing that like we'll talk about later. That was righteous anger. Maybe, are we allowed to have righteous anger, righteous offense? Is that okay? Jesus did in this situation. And after he cleared the temple, many people began to trust him. But then it says this in the very next verse. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature for he knew what was each in each person's heart. So if that's how Jesus sees people, then maybe there's a benefit of us realizing what really is inside the human heart. Our hearts are untrustworthy. Our hearts, they're unfaithful. And our hearts are prone to selfishness. We've already talked about that. And so maybe if those are the expectations we have of people, it it frees us from being disappointed when people do that. And it frees us from being uh, offended when something happens to us. And I'm not saying that to be like, I don't want you to be like jaded or cynical or negative because that's not how Jesus was. Jesus wasn't any of those things and that's how he saw people. But really it's just understanding that people are broken. People are going to hurt you whether they mean to or not. People are going to let you down. You are going to have opportunities to be offended. And when we let go of the expectations, we find freedom from that. And you have free will. You can go around getting mad about everybody and holding everybody these expectations, but that's going to be exhausting. And there's a better way. So expectations are not a good reason to be offended. The fourth reason people are offended is insecurities. Insecurities. Because when somebody struggles with insecurities, they don't have good, like a good sense of self-worth. Like they are not able to put worth in themselves. And so they look to other people for it. They need to be validated by other people. Other people need to give them worth. And so whenever we have those situations and you're looking to other people to validate you and they don't, you're going to get offended. You're going to be offended. And honestly, sometimes people who struggle with insecurity, they kind of like being offended whether they would say it or not, sometimes it kind of feels good because it gives them like some power. 
They have something against somebody and they can hold on to it and they can even out the scales of justice, you know, like they kind of enjoy it. And then when they can share with other people how they've been offended, other people validate them. Like, can you believe that they didn't give me that raise? (gasps) No, they don't even know what they have in you. I can't believe that. Or like, can you believe that I do all of this stuff and nobody ever even notices? I've never even gotten a thank you. (gasps) No. That's possible. That 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 is wrong. Like they're getting this validation, right? Or like, can you believe that I introduced these people and they they went to coffee without me? They didn't have the they had the nerve to not invite me. Oh my gosh, they are, you were just too good for them. You know, like so we we get our validation and our worth from these other people, and when we don't, we are offended. But the idea that there is this place that we're going to reach one day where we don't need anybody's validation, whatever we feel like we're missing, what we don't have, we think that like something's going to happen and we're going to get it. We're going to get that job. We're going to get that spouse. We're going to get that car. We're going to get that vacation. We're going to get this status symbol. And then we're going to know we've made it. That's a lie. It doesn't exist. That thing's not there. If it were there then like the people who have, have reached that would be secure, right? But instead, I want you to look at these three celebrities. First, we've got Meryl Streep. She is incredible. I love her. Her uh, witch in Into the Woods is like one of my favorite things in movies of all time. I think she's incredible. But Meryl Streep, this is a quote from her. I say to myself, I don't know how to act and why does anybody want to look at me on screen anymore? Lots of actors feel this way. What gives you strength is your weak, uh, is also your weakness, your raging insecurity. She doesn't think she's a good actress sometimes. It doesn't matter how many things she's won, how many things she's been nominated for. Sometimes she doesn't think she's a good actress. Next, we've got Jennifer Lopez, who, you know, Jenny from the block, J-Lo. Like, she is the, the massive pop star. And she says, the biggest insecurity I had was my singing. She thought that she was a better actress. Man, she's, she's way better at singing. But I do love her in Selena. Anything for Selena. Um... She said, even though I had sold 70 million records, there was this feeling like I'm not good at this. 70 million records wasn't enough for her to feel secure in what she was doing. Or we've got Megan Fox. Megan Fox is beautiful. Nobody can argue that she is gorgeous. But she has said, I'm very confident in how I project my personality. But in terms of how I look, I'm completely hysterically insecure. I'm self-loathing, introverted, and neurotic. These people have made it. They have made it. They have success. They have fame. They have fortune. And they are still insecure. Because when we try to find our security in anything outside of who we are in Christ, that we are somebody who is loved by God, who is worthy of dying on the cross for, when we try to find security outside of that, We're never going to get it. It's never going to happen. And we are consistently going to be disappointed and hurt by people who are not validating us because people are not supposed to validate us. Our identity in Christ. Like I love the, the bridge of the last song we just sang. That is like my 
favorite bridge of all time, like the veil tore before you, that I love that not only did Jesus die for us to go to heaven and have eternal life, but the veil in between the temple and the Holy of Holies was ripped in two because now we have full access to the God of the universe through Jesus. Like that is where we get our worth. That's where we get our value. It's not through anything the world has can say or do or make us believe. It is only through Jesus. Matthew 6 has some of my very favorite verses in the whole Bible. I love it so much. I have it tattooed on my arm. Um, I love it. It says, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Because when we hold on to our worries and our insecurities and we look at everybody and anybody else to validate us, it's really because we don't trust that God is enough. We don't trust that God will provide everything we need. He's, gonna, he's going to provide everything we need. He is where our worth comes from. He's where our value comes from. Anything that we need, he's gonna provide. And when we choose to be insecure and we keep getting offended by things, it's because we are not really trusting that God is who he says he's gonna be. So your insecurities don't give you a right to be offended. Another reason people get offended is because they feel threatened. And I'm not talking about like physical threats. I'm talking about the threat of like your lifestyle, your beliefs, your morals, your values, all of those being threatened. Um, Because when you get angry or you think less of somebody because of the way they live their life, that's taking offense to them. And if somebody's mere existence offends you, there's a problem. There's a problem with that. It shouldn't be that way. Because some people think to be Christ-like, it means that we have to alienate ourselves from people who don't believe like us or act like us or live like us. And that we have to like defend the name of Jesus. But that's not the case because the kingdom of God is not on defense. It's not on defense. In Matthew 16, Jesus says, On this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so you might like be tempted to think, oh, that's great. We can stand up to the attacks of Satan on Christianity. But like that doesn't really track because tell me the last time that a gate attacked you. Has a gate ever attacked you? No, gates aren't on defense. Like Jesus is not telling these Peter and his disciples to be on defense. He is giving them a push to be on offense. He's going, he's saying, go love the world and nothing is going to stop you. Even the gates of hell, you can go as far as you need to go to love somebody. And I am not saying, I do need to clarify. I'm not saying put yourself into a situation that's not wise. I'm not saying that, but you have a freedom and a call from God. God to love people right where they're at. So it's, oh, okay. Christians, we shouldn't, by doing that, by loving people where they're at, we're not saying 
what you're doing is right. We're not saying, I'm totally cool with what you're doing. What we're doing is loving them with a love of Jesus and trusting that God is gonna be the one to change their heart. Because I know that we've established a lot of us have control problems. People like control, I like control. Um, But we can't control other people's hearts. We can't control other people's convictions. We can't expect people who don't know Jesus to act like they do. We can't hold them to the same standards that we would hold ourselves to biblical standards. We can't do that. And welcoming them into our lives isn't like glossing over important issues. It's not saying like, I agree with everything that you do and you say. It's not that. It's loving them where they're at. And there is a God who is already reaching out to them. And maybe he's going to use us to help change their lives. Because I know like it's God that leads us to repentance. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And it's not our job to make somebody repent. It's the Holy Spirit. So if we are loving people with the love of Jesus and they are seeing the Holy Spirit in us, who knows what God could do? But we can't do that if we are holding everybody at arm's length and we are judging them for what they are saying and what they are doing. We have to realize that God has a different timetable for everybody, and that's not up to us. And how awesome would it be that because we love somebody and we show them the love of God, they give their lives to Jesus, and their whole lives and their eternities are changed. Feeling threatened, having your lifestyle, your morals, your beliefs threatened is not a reason to take offense. And now we're at the last one, and I think this is the one where most people will say, now that's where I can be offended. This is it. This is it. And it's injustice. Can we be offended in the face of injustice? And I don't know if you've noticed, but people, especially Christians, they love taking stands. And they love taking stands that cost them nothing. They love taking stands that don't cost them anything. And it makes us feel like we're involved, like we're doing something. And when something is unjust, it makes us feel like we're doing it with a righteous offense or a righteous anger. And when we say that, that really is inferring that like the people who aren't agreeing with us are a little bit like unrighteous, right? Like if, if what we think is righteous and what they're thinking is unrighteous. So is it ever okay to be offended by injustice? And the short answer I would bet that you guys know is no. It's not a reason to be offended. And before we keep talking about it, I want to clear something up. Anger and action are not interchangeable. They're not the same word. And I think a lot of times people feel like if they aren't angry about something, then they're not doing anything about it. There's actually been studies that have shown it, the people who like were to like something about like feeding orphans in Uganda, the people who click like on Facebook or share it on Facebook are, I don't remember the statistic, but they are less likely to actually do anything. They're less likely to actually like give money or go to Uganda or do something to actually make a difference because people think that you have to have anger to like spur you on. And there is something for anger, like anger can make stuff happen in the short run. Like it can, but it's the same way that like our culture's gluttony can provide a lot of jobs, but it also hurts a lot of people or like bitterness can really make you like push yourself and go hard and prove yourself. But for a short time, like that isn't, that isn't what, is supposed to spur us. And really, anger spurring us into something 
Anger spurring us to act against injustice isn't biblical. It is not biblical because there are a ton of times in the Bible that God does call us to act and he does call us to do something. And it's never, ever, ever because of anger. It's never because of anger. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but I didn't love others, I would be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is the motivating factor for us to act. It's out of love and it's not a fuzzy like, oh, this feels so good kind of love. No, it is a strong conviction that we are gonna help other people step into the call of God on their life. We are gonna help other people find freedom. We are going to break chains. That's what God has sent the church to do. That is what we were called to do. We're not called to action out of anger. It is love because the hurt and dying world doesn't need a bunch of Christians going, Look at us. We yelled about stuff on Facebook. That's not what they need. That's not what they need. They need a church that loves them and that is going to do something for them. We are going to reach out a hand and lift them up instead of shoving them back down. Injustice is not a reason to be offended. Yes, it's a reason to take action. It is not a reason to be offended. So I hope by now that it's very clear that there's never a time for us to be offended. It's never okay, it's never biblical, it's never justified, it is not righteous. And you know why it's not righteous? It's because we aren't righteous. Like what I said earlier, we, all of the things that we do to people, or all the things that are done to us to offend us, we do them to the people too. Like we can't have a righteous anger because we are not righteous in ourselves. We are not, but we are human. And occasionally we're going to feel prideful and we're going to make assumptions and we're going to hold people to expectations they'll never meet. We are going to feel uh, attacked. We are going to feel like we have to do something and it makes us angry. We are going to feel all of those things. And some of you, for some of you, anger is valuable. Like it... It's a sacrifice to let it go, and I do recognize that. And some of you have had things happen to you that are not right, and they are not fair, and they are not good. And Pastor Clint's gonna get into that next week. Like, what does that look like? But the majority of our offenses, there's no reason for them. And you really, you don't have to hold on to them. You can let them go. There's nothing that says that you have to hold on to them. You can let them go, and you know what you get? Whenever you choose to just let them go, you get rest. You get rest. And I don't know about you guys, but I need rest in my life. I need rest. And you can't have both of them because offense and rest, they are always at odds. You can't hold on to both of them. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. That word still in Hebrew is suggestive of like stopping a battle or stopping a fight or laying down your arms. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to drop our arms, stop the striving, stop assuming that it's your job to fix people and that your offense is gonna do anything to make that happen. Your offense isn't fixing people. God's gonna handle all of that. We can quit thinking 
that it's up to us. We can quit thinking that we need to parent the whole world. We can quit thinking that like we are judge and jury of that poor person that cut us off in the parking lot. We can quit thinking that it's up to us to discern other people's motives. We can quit rehearsing in your mind what that person has said or what they have done to us. And we can quit thinking that we have to take a stand. God doesn't need us to do that. He needs us to love people. People need to see the love of Jesus through us and through our lives. We can let the offense go and we can remember God's got it. He's got it. And in fact, the only person who has ever lived in the history of the world who had an actual right to be offended is Jesus. Jesus, we've done all of these things to people. I know, I know that I've cut people off because they called, they called Clint and they said, your wife cut me off today. So I know that I've cut people off before. Thank you to that Oasis sticker on the back of my car. Um, it was not on purpose. See, they didn't know my motives. It wasn't on purpose. It's because I was had kids screaming at me and I was like, get me home. Um, we don't have the right to be offended. And Jesus did. Jesus had every right to be offended because he lived a perfect life. And even while he was living a perfect life, people were hurting him and people were not living like him. But instead of being offended, he loved people. He loved people. He loved people. That's what we were supposed to do. He loved people. And it wasn't that he was condoning their behavior. The same thing I said to you guys. It's not that we're supposed to condone behavior and, and say, that's great, that's fine, whatever. It's not that. It's that he was showing them a love that was so big and so great that it drew them to himself. The Bible says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It is not shame. It is not guilt. It is not shoulda, coulda, wouldas. It is God's kindness that draws people to repent from their sin and turn toward him. He loved people so much that he died for them. While they were sinners, he died for them. While we were sinners, he died for us, knowing that we're gonna keep messing up, knowing that we're gonna keep sinning, he still died for us so that we could have eternal life, a hopeful, uh, full life on earth and eternal life in heaven. You guys go ahead and close your eyes and bow your heads. And if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you can start one today. It's just a prayer. And by a prayer, it's not magic words, but a God sent his son to die for you because you were worth it. He wants a relationship with you. And if that's you, you can pray this with me. You can pray, God, thank you for sending Jesus to die for me, even when I didn't know it or appreciate it. Thank you for making a way for me to live a full life on earth and eternal life with you in heaven. In the best way I know how, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life and live for you. In Jesus' name. And I want to take a second and pray for another group of people. If you're in here and you felt like maybe your toes were being stepped on a little bit, maybe there was a little bit of conviction stirring up in you from the Holy Spirit, uh, I want to pray for you. And not in a shame on you, do better kind of way. Um, not in a I'm going to think poorly of you kind of way. But it's really a, hey, I actually want to pray for you. And when we bring things out of darkness into light, they lose their power. So if being offended is something that you're realizing you struggle with and you 
need the Holy Spirit's help to fight it. Will you go ahead and raise your hand so I can pray for you? And know that you're not the only one raising your hand. God, you see the hands raised and you know the hearts of everybody in the room. None of us want to be known by the fruit that offense produces in our lives, but it's hard. It is hard on our own. So Holy Spirit, please fill each person who raised their hand in such a way that all they can hear when they're tempted to be offended, when offense comes their way, all they can hear is the gentle whisper of the Holy Spirit to let it go. Give us humility and patience as we live in this broken world and use us to show the amazing love of Jesus because he loves the people who have offended us just as much as he loves us. So thank you for not giving up on us. Thank you for giving us chance and chance again to become more like you. Thank you for working in our hearts. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.